there is some parts of the Christmas story that I think are actually dangerous. Not, not the Christmas story you find in the Bible, but the Christmas story we find uh, in a Coca-Cola advertisement, for instance. And there is a, a central lie behind the, the Santa Claus Christmas story that is particularly dangerous, in my view. What we're doing at the moment, over these few weeks, is our sermon series is called Selling Christmas. And we're trying to look at behind the ads you see every day. And today we're going to look at an ad that's actually from the UK, uh, from a, a charity called Shelter. Before we go there, I want to unpack this central lie so that you can kind of spot it in the ad. Now, brace yourself. <clears throat> I don't often do this for largely uh, out of mercy for the congregation, but I, I, I feel like this morning I need to sing. <laughs> I do, I do, cause, and, and I'm going to need your help for obvious reasons. Uh, there is a, a fairly basic Christmas carol that is... Uh, sung at most carols by candlelight. Uh, but it contains a, a pretty serious lie. So let's, let's, we're going to sing it together. I'm going to lead us in singing, which is not something I say very often. Uh, and, and you're going to help me, please, help me. So uh, we're going to sing Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Okay, you got that? Now you'll find the words for it in the sermon notes. Uh, which are in the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, and there are also some printed words in the, the printed version. Okay, let's see how we go. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. That's pretty good. We're doing okay. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. Gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Okay, here we go. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Hey, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Now, this is the, this is the verses that most people leave out for a lot of interesting, like, fairly obvious reasons, but these are actually part of the song. So they're here, ready? With little tin horns and little toy drums, rooty toot toots and rummy tum tums, Santa Claus is coming to town. The kids in girl and boy... Oh, no, I missed a bit, didn't I? Sorry, uh, here we go. Let's go back to the curly-haired dolls. <laughs> and curly-haired dolls that toddle and coo, elephants, boats and kitty cars too, Santa Claus is coming to town. The kids in girl and boy land will have a jubilee. They're gonna build a toyland town all around the Christmas tree. Hey, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. 
There you go. Well, well done. Well, let's just keep that between us, will we? <laughs> uh, so the question is, uh, can you spot the lie? What's the lie that everybody sings at Christmas time? <laughs> well, actually, that's the obvious one. Santa Claus is coming to town. I don't know how to break the news for anybody who's, uh, you know. But, but there is this other, yeah, you've got to be good to get presents. It's actually a quite a clever manipulative tool on behalf of parents to get their kids to behave and produce guilt. Uh, but it's, it's actually, it's a dangerous lie. This ad we're about to watch explains, sort of point blank, why it's a dangerous lie. Let's have a look. Maddie, what's your brother, Maria? Can I post this, please? North Pole, I assume? Yeah. Remember, be as good as gold and you'll get just what you want. Be as good as gold and you'll get just what you want. Just what you want. Just what you want. I'll get it! Oh, thank you. Managing back there? Yeah. Do you want my seat? Oh, uh, right. Can you please leave your homework with me at the front of the... Here you go, sir. Not again, Maddie. Sorry. We're nearly there. No running! You okay? Yeah. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, love. But I was so good. Well, there you go. So if a little girl believes in the Santa story, she believes that she can be good enough to get a home. And if she doesn't have a home, there must be something wrong. Now, we've got to face the fact that, that that's the, the lie behind Christmas. But sometimes, uh, even in the Christian church, we've taken that a step further and made it not only about Santa, but about God and, and sort of said, maybe through our actions, hopefully not directly, but we've kind of believed that if, we, if we're good enough then God will give us what we want. And, and we actually, there are some times in the Christian community where we can talk about being blessed as though everything's going the way you want it to go. That's not at all what the Bible means by the word blessing. And one of the things we have to come to terms with uh, is that while it's, it, at one level it's fairly obvious that that is a, a, a lie, but it, it is a lie we sort of quickly believe and whole religious systems are built around it. They call it karma. You get what you deserve. Jesus helpfully di directly addresses it. If you've got your sermon notes, uh, you can find the, the notes there, Luke chapter 13. Uh, there were some present and I, I wonder... Uh, Joe, I don't know if you've got the light thing there, but we can maybe turn the lights up uh, for people so they can... 
uh, read their paper Bibles. There were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans who, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And clearly the subtext was, gee, they were, must have been really bad because they got killed. So they must have done something wrong. Jesus responds to the subtext of the discussion by saying, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. All those 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus is saying, that way of thinking is just wrong. He's kind of saying, bad things do happen to good people. He's saying, if, if accident, accidents do happen, those 18 people had not been particularly sinful in order to get the, the tower to fall on them. But what, he, what he's also clearly saying is, what doesn't matter is how good or bad you are. What he's saying is what matters is whether you have a relationship with God or not, whether you have, in his words, repented or not, whether you have put aside your stuff and said, Jesus, I recognise I need you. We need to hear this because the Santa lie is much more dangerous when it's a Christian lie. Because at least with Santa, it's reduced to like one day a year. But if you think that God is some Santa in the sky giving you special treats if you're good and making things go badly for you if you're bad, then you can never escape from guilt. You can never escape from the torment of it because none of us is perfect. The Apostle Paul directly addresses this in the book of Titus where he says, when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, listen to this, not because of the righteous things we've done. But because of his mercy. This is the fantastic news about the real story of Christmas. The real gift of Christmas that Sophie was talking about. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So that is the, the first and most important thing to understand. And as Christians, that's the first thing we want this little, little girl to understand that she doesn't have to, you know, do all those things in order to get God to love her. And we don't have to do lots of things in order to get God to love us. He loves us. Philip Yancey calls that the scandal of grace. And Jesus talks about it in the sense that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. That God loves you, no matter what you've done. No matter what your history has been. God loves you and he's just reaching for a relationship. That's the first thing this little girl needs to understand. The second thing she needs to understand is this. While God doesn't promise that everything's going to go the way you want it to, 
while God doesn't promise that he will save you from moments of deep darkness and pain, the truth is he does promise to be with you in those moments. That's the beautiful truth of our faith. God, aren't you glad God didn't just send a rule book, but he sent a person, he, he came as a person, rather than saying, here's all the six, seven things you've got to do in order to, to be good enough to come and talk to me. He actually steps into the mess in the form of a baby. He steps into our chaos. And he steps in in relationship. This is one of the things we need to hear. The Apostle Paul talks about it this way. He says, I've learned how this works. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What Paul's wanting us to hear is that God is not going to organise your world to suit your ego. Sorry about that. But what he does promise is to be with you through the most difficult moments of your life and to help carry you through those moments. For some of us who have been through dark and difficult moments, we know the truth of that. I love my, one of my favourite psalms is the most popular one, Psalm 23. But there's this, this truth is embedded in the heart of it where it says, he leads us on right paths for his name's sake. And the very next line is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. The incredible miracle of Christmas is the word Emmanuel, God with us. This is the promise of Christmas. There are going to be difficult things in your life, but you don't have to face them alone. It's, we, need this, we would want to say to this little girl those two things, but we wouldn't want to stop there, would you? That would not be enough. There is another, I would call it a lie, behind the ad that happens in the last few seconds. And it's one we particularly have to watch. It is kind of saying, at a process level, we can address homelessness by giving money to this organisation. We, as a general community, have outsourced our care. And we've created organisations to deal with problems. Organisations by themselves are not wrong. I'm really pleased that an organisation like Shelter exists to advocate for and provide services for people who are in need. But it is not enough just to give out of your excess a few dollars to a charity so you don't have to look into the eyes of a little girl like that. It's not enough just to give to an organisation. There are fundamental weaknesses with organisations that we have to face. There are incredible strengths, but there are fundamental weaknesses too. And I, I think we need to, as we start to think about what is it, would it mean for us with integrity 
to look into the eyes of this little girl and respond, we need to understand what an organisation can do and what it can't do. I've got notes here from a, a man who has been at the forefront of community development around the world. His name is John McKnight. Uh, there's a paper you can actually read that's linked to in the sermon notes where you can read the whole thing. This is the context here. He wants us to understand the weaknesses be behind organisations and particularly this is important because most governments respond to needs by setting up organisations or policies. It's all that a government can do. But it actually doesn't work as they think it ought to work because there are fundamental issues with organisations. He says, let's talk about the... The, the three problems with organisations or systems, a systematic response. He says, firstly, all organisations or systems are systems of control. Now, what that means is that there'll be one person at the top and lots of people in sort of in a pyramid structure underneath them and that means that that one person makes, is in charge of all major decisions. Now, don't get me wrong, that is, we have found that is a very effective way of doing particular kinds of things. I, I would not want the 15-year-old making my hamburger at McDonald's to get creative. I, I love policy and procedure and I love going to different parts of the world and knowing uh, if there is, you know, I'm feeling a bit nervous about some of the other food, that there's a place I can go where I know what I'm going to get and I know how it's going to taste. Uh, also... When I am going on a flight, I want the organisation that built the plane to have very clear policy and organisational structures so that whoever is putting the bolts in isn't thinking, ah, oh, I might do it a bit different today. No, we don't want that. And I don't want everybody on the plane to feel equally able to fly the plane. No, we want one person to be in charge of an airplane. But we, so there are strengths that an organisational structure has, but there are particular weaknesses it has too. Uh, and one of the particular, uh, uh, well, let's talk about one other strength an organisational structure has. It is that organisations are very good at producing a great deal of the same thing. Organisations can provide, can, can produce a great deal of the same thing which is great, like a Big Mac. But the problem is, you, in order for that to happen, you need people who want a great deal of the same thing, which is great with a Big Mac, but it's less good with dealing with issues like homelessness or people. And it's not an accident. You'll see John McKnight notices that we, people who access social services systems are called clients or consumers, and it should be noted that the, the word for client is especially appropriate for the one is the object of a system uh, because the Greek word for the root word for the word client means one who is controlled. So if you bring to mind uh, something like a, a Centrelink, the people in Centrelink do their best, but they're part of an organisational system. And what that means is they're part of a world that is dominated by forms and boxes and one of the things we know about people is they don't fit boxes and neatly fit into forms. 
People are different. So in a systemic world, the success of the system is measured by how many people access and use the system. But one of the things we need to understand is, and this is something that John McKnight wants us all to hear as he thinks about community development, is systems cannot care. What systems can do is deliver services. But people care. People care. He, for, from his perspective, the answer to effective community development and helping people care is associations, where people voluntarily choose to work together for the benefit of somebody else. Uh, a top-down hierarchical approach so has shaped our world that we actually don't, we find it hard to think about other systems. And governments keep being bewildered where they pull policy levers and it doesn't produce the, same resu the right results because we don't fit boxes. It's interesting, the early church hit a crisis of need and it was that the Greek-speaking women, wi widows, the, the Hellenistic Jews, the people who'd come to faith as Gentiles, uh, were not being looked after and fed as much as the, the Jewish, uh, the ones who spoke Jewish, and the, the, the native Jewish widows. And the, it's, the people came to the disciples and said, we've got this crisis. These, these widows are not being cared for well. Now, in an organisational system, we would say, okay, what is the need? Okay, it's food. Who can cook? And you'd find the caterers. But if you look at this text from the book of Acts chapter 6, what is actually the prerequisite they're looking for, for the, for the people who are going to care for the widows? Are they looking for people who can cook? What are they looking for? People who have the Holy Spirit and who are wise. They are delegating care. They are saying, we want, we want people we can trust who will look into the eyes of these people and work out what's needed. When you're dealing with people, boxes don't work real well. You need wisdom and you need the Holy Spirit. Now, we've been shaped by a culture that is so embedded in systems thinking that it can even, and it has even, deeply infected the church. So we can end up seeing church as an organisational system. And rather than uh, providing care, we provide services. I think it's interesting in our culture that we call what we do on a Sunday morning often the church service. That's interesting. I, I actually think we have to come to terms with the fact that the church was never meant to be an organisational hierarchy. It was always meant to be a bunch of brothers and sisters, imperfect brothers and sisters, doing their best to love each other and doing their best to love people outside the church as well. We will never produce the kingdom of God if we are only running programs.
because programs don't care, people care. So with all this in view, how would you answer the little girl? What would you say to her? I think our answer has to be threefold. I think the first thing we need to say to her and we need to remember is that bad things do happen. And there are children suffering in ways that children just shouldn't have to suffer. So we need to help calibrate her expectations, particularly if she's suffering and saying, it's not because she's been naughty. Bad things happen. The second thing we need to say, and we need to remember, is that Jesus promises to be with us in the darkest moments of our life. And many of us in this room can share from first-hand experience what a difference that actually makes. But like I've been saying, the th- we, we can't leave it there. That is the truth of the gospel. Those two things are the beautiful truth of the gospel. But we, we will be sounding shallow if we leave it there. The truth is, I, I think we also need to say to her, we in the church are a bunch of ordinary people. And many of us carry scars from where bad things have happened to us. But because we love Jesus, we will be working to make sure everyone like you is loved and gets what they need to thrive as best we can. We don't have all the answers and we can't fix everything, but we want to care for you and people like you. If we're to be honest... There is part of us that would rather look away from you because it's uncomfortable to see someone in your position. We can also fall into going through the motions of Christianity and focusing on our own needs and our own families because sometimes they feel so overwhelming we just don't feel like we've got space for problems like yours. So we might give money to an organisation or find ways not to think about people who are facing what you're facing. We're deeply sorry for all the times our self-absorption has meant we were deaf to Jesus' call to care. I think we'd have to be honest with the little girl and say something like that. I think we'd need to finish by saying something like, We don't care because we think Santa or Jesus will give us what we want if we do. We care because Jesus loves us. And his love in us calls us to lift our eyes from ourselves and put our eyes on people like you. The Apostle Paul is really clear. There are two responses Christians are to have to people in need. The first is to care. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. 
He's actually saying, let your emotional world be affected by the situation of other people. Don't keep them at a distance. Let yourself care. But caring isn't enough. Another major theme in the Bible is you've got to actually do something. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, it says in Galatians, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Our response to the little girl needs to be caring and doing. So I'm so proud of what I see bubbling up in our church family. I'm continually challenged by Jenny over there in Lena Valley. I don't know if she's there today. She's an older lady who for decades now has been faithfully caring about the situations that many of us would rather avoid. Last week, she had to rush off after church because she was going to something for Ukraine. But the two battles she has personally adopted for her whole adult life were initially the battle for East Timor's independence and she has continued to fight. After that battle was won, she's continued to fight for West Papua and the the West Papuans who have been taken over by another nation and who don't have self-determination. So this small lady based here in Hobart out of our Lena Valley congregation is under no illusions that she herself is going to necessarily fix it, but she's also not given up. And so you'll often bump into Jenny down the local mall. And she'll talk about the, the people who come, get inspired, ready to join and then find it a bit hard and and give up. As far as I'm aware, she's the only one in Hobart fighting for West Papua. That's why we've got to have her back. I love that Kevin and Anne have been faithfully putting packs together for people to go to Bethlehem House and the whole Lena Valley congregation uh, gather to provide hygiene packs for people who are homeless and who have come out of prison. And they've been doing that for years. Not making a big deal of it. I love that there are people in our church who faithfully turn up to help with Louis's van, just to look into people's eyes and, and give them a feed. I love that this week, families who couldn't afford Christmas presents are going to come through the front door here and be able to give their kids Christmas presents because people in our congregation didn't look the other way. But it's not enough to stop there. You, you are not responsible for all the needs of the world. But you are responsible to be faithful for the bit that God is calling you to do. To care for the real needs of real people. And then to do something about it. I continue to be challenged by the last public speech given by the founder of the Salvation Army. A couple of months before he passed away, William Booth got up uh, at a... I think Dan was telling me where it was, a, a big hall in London, and he said this. While women weep, as they do now, I'll fight.
while children go hungry as they do now. I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out and in and out as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a poor lost girl on the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight, I'll fight to the very end. I think the question for us is, what fight are you in? Who are you fighting for? just want to take a moment just to invite you to pray and say, God, is there a group of people or, or people I, you are asking me to care for more than I currently am caring for them? We're actually going to put up a Mentimeter slide. And I really encourage you not to put anyone's first name on there. That'd be really unhelpful. Um, but I want, to ask, I want to finish with this question. Normally, we'd often start with Mentimeter. But... I think if we're to be honest and we're to look into the face of this little girl and have integrity, we need to ask personally, who are the people God is asking you to care more about? If you've got a phone, you can use this QR code. And I'd encourage you just to pray and ask yourself, and just don't, please don't say anything out of sentimentality. Please don't do anything out of sentimentality. That is unhelpful. But... William Booth knew he was called to care. Jenny, I, I, asked, I was speaking to Jenny about this last week and, and, and I said, I'm so grateful you hang on. And she said, well, I know that God's telling me to do it and he gives me the strength. I, I want to ask you personally to write your answer to this question and to think, who is God asking you to care more about? And if there are people around you who don't have phones or access, can you ask them if you'd like them to put their, their uh, answers up for them as well? So let's see if we can get some answers and see who are the, for us as a church family, who are the people Jesus is inviting us to, to fight for? Let's see if we can see what some of the answers are as we put them up on the Mentimeter. I'm proud of our church family. We had 26 responses. Again, I, I invite you not to quickly do this, but just to pray and say, who is it that God is asking you to care more for? We've had 35 responses so far. I am proud of the people in our church family who have been fighting. We live in a world that says close your whole world down and focus on yourself because you are really what matters. As followers of Jesus, we don't get that option. We are called to lift our eyes, to look into the eyes of a little girl like that and to care. To not use giving money out of our excess to an organisation to fix it. But to sit in the uncomfortable place where we know 
that a little girl needs to be seen and cared for. And then ask God, what are you asking of us? What are you asking of us? It's a dangerous question. It could well reshape the rest of your life. But it's the kind of thing, the kind of question that changes the world as people take their faith seriously enough to lift their eyes from themselves, put them on Jesus and through Jesus to see the actual needs of real people and not just formulate a policy response or tell the government what they should do, but step into the gap, into that place of pain and know we are called. Not to earn any brownie points, but to love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, for me personally, and I think on behalf of my friends and our family here at Citywide Baptist Church, we want to say we're sorry for all the times we get a bit self-focused. We're sorry for all the times we look away from little girls like that are in that ad because it's too confronting. Or times where we quickly throw in a few bucks thinking that that's that then. Jesus, we know you're not asking us to fix the world's problems. You got that covered. But you are asking us to love the people you are calling us to love and to do something about it. Help us be people who care and who do. Save us from self-focused cliches. We ask this in your name.